Back in the Veritex Community Bank Studios with John Granado and Lance Zerline. All right, let's go. Josh Pate joining us right now at Late Kick Josh on Twitter. A must follow. College football is here, and boy, it's in full swing. And we had a couple of outcomes last week that were a little bit surprising. And one of them was Texas going to Alabama and winning that game. Josh, uh, Texas sure did look good, and now there's a lot of questions about Alabama. Where do you? Where do you? Where is Alabama in your mind right now? Who um, searching? I guess, and that's not normally something we say about them. Uh, but you listen to Nick Saban talk after that game, and I'm talking not immediately post game, but later and this week, and he's kind of said the same thing. Uh, he harkens back to a couple of teams in his past. One of them ended up winning the title, and he said, "Hey, we lost early that year. Needed to find an identity. We found it on the fly, and voila." Um. I feel like that's where this team is. Now, here's the difference. We've seen them in really one game, one big game. And so you never know, as, as someone who's just watching from the outside, you never know if, if they have that ready-made identity just kind of sitting there in the bucket and they got away from it in their game plan, their offensive game plan. I, I think from the common perspective, myself included, a lot of people watched that and said, that doesn't really seem like they're putting Jalen Milrow in the best position to succeed. Texas has got a lot to do with that, though. So I'll be interested. Like, they play South Florida this week. It's a really weird game. They're going to South Florida, by the way, which I don't remember seeing in a long time. And I'll be interested to see, even though they're favored by 30, how they go about it this week. I'll be, I'll be interested to see what they do with the quarterback rotation or if there is one. I'll be interested to see how that offensive line responds because to me that was the most disappointing unit on the field. And it may just be that people like myself expected too much of that position group too soon. I just, I think they have sky high potential. Uh, it's all world talent across the board. I watch teams with lesser talent in that position room get more out of it. So I just blindly expected it from Alabama, but. You know, defense late got burned a few times. I thought they played incredibly um, fast. I thought they played well. I thought they tackled a lot better than they did last year. So there's still some. There's still a lot to like about Alabama. It's just that they felt a little more wobbly out of the gate than I thought they'd be. I was, you know, it's this is the first time, and I and I keep up with draft stuff, obviously, Josh. This is the first time that I ever remember, and I texted this during the game, where Texas was anywhere even remotely in the same ballpark as Alabama along the trenches and at the skill positions, you know, on the outside. But it, it's true. Like, I think I think Texas is more impactful in the trenches this year on both sides than Alabama. They're going to have Jeff Banks is going to be a first-round pick. They have speed off the edge, which has been something sorely missing from Texas. True, bendy speed. And they've got some penetration up the middle with Byron Murphy. I mean, I think winning in the trenches is what's, been critical for Georgia and Alabama on their long runs and and frankly Ohio State for you know what they've done for a long time finally Texas appears to have that element maybe worked out yeah this is the long and short of the conversation that's happened around Texas over the past really over the past 10 years Uh, I've I've spoken to you guys about this a number of times so I'm not going to go completely down the road but the old common refrain from everybody who viewed the sport from 50,000 feet was well Texas is loaded I know they are because I see their recruiting rankings. They're always in the top 10, which was true, but it was deceiving. 
because of where the talent was. They weren't recruiting and developing along the lines of scrimmage. They had some good DBs sometimes. They had some good wide receivers sometimes, but it wasn't a football team. And so coaches would come in there, and they would lose, and everyone would say, well, that's an indictment on the coach because, look, they're loaded everywhere. Well, it may have been an indictment on the coach, but it wasn't because they were loaded everywhere. And now they are, and they've recruited and developed inside out. And also, you know, I look at Sark, and I was talking to a couple of people that, that, that are over on the NFL side of things that kind of just observe them. And I, I, I keep on hearing the word organization thrown around instead of team. And it's really apropos. So that's kind of how he's built it. He's modeled it a lot after what he saw at Alabama. And he has built an organization, and that's an army of people behind the scenes that you never see. That is a philosophy over just gearing up year to year. And it's just now starting to show off. I, I thought it started to permeate a little bit last year. It's just the results on the field didn't show it. The win-loss record didn't show it. But this is not any kind of flash-in-the-pan thing. It's nothing like that. They'll be in this conversation every year moving forward because they'll have the personnel to do it. Josh Pate with us here, talking college football on ESPN 97.5 and 92.5. I, I, I don't know, with as many good teams as we have in college football, how we could have a crappy week like this. There's really, it's, it's, it's unbe- unbelievable to me. Tennessee and Florida is probably the best marquee game this week? I think, uh, number one, I think we won't have to worry about this moving forward uh, because people won't be terrified to schedule bigger out-of-conference games. Uh, number two, I think there are some good ones. They're just not marquee names. Like LSU-Mississippi State has a chance to be the game of the weekend. You mentioned Florida-Tennessee. I'm going to Missouri for Kansas State-Missouri. I'm intrigued by that one. I'll tell you what else is way off the radar for good reason. Washington plays Michigan State this weekend. And here's what I'm always interested in. Anytime there's a coach that's suspended, I always want to see how his team plays the next weekend. Sometimes you get an inspired effort, and sometimes that's because guys are playing for the coach. Other times it's because guys didn't really care for the coach and they want to make a point that they can be great without him. Either way, that's about a 16-point spread. It's not on anyone's radar, and I just kind of, I just kind of want to see how that plays out. So, yeah, we do have some games, but I'm not beating around the bush. I'm readily acknowledging it's pretty inexcusable to have a week like this. Now, I'm going to be glued in, but I'd be glued in watching a spring practice. So I'm not the audience here. The more casual audience could take or leave a weekend like this, and we never should be saying that in week three or any week, really, of college football. Yep. Josh Pate with us here on ESPN 97.5. And 92, I don't know if you paid any attention to the University of Houston here. That was a rough week last week, but they got TCU now. TCU got a little bit better defensively, but they didn't play anybody. Uh, TCU is seven-and-a-half-point favorite coming in here in the Cougs' first-ever Big 12 game. What do you think about this game? I th- Look, I was a little taken aback by that result last week, and I was at the Bama-Texas game, so I'm throughout the day I'm kind of just seeing scores. I'm not watching Rice-Houston, but... I thought to myself, is that about to happen? Okay, I guess that's about to happen. There's, look, there's always something to watch. Like when you get put on a bigger stage, uh, TCU did this. Speaking of TCU back in the day with Gary Patterson, they got put on the bigger Power 5 stage, and slowly they adjusted. Uh, Utah with Whittingham, they adjusted, and they were good. So the same guy, it turned out, was the guy for the job moving forward. Well, Houston is now on a bigger stage. And I wonder, not, not putting anyone on the hot seat, I hate talking about that anyway, but I wonder 
if right now Dana is the guy that three or four years from now we're still seeing at Houston. And I, I don't want to, I don't want to ever put like make or break labels on games in week three. And I'm not saying this weekend is, I am saying you start bottling up a ton of negative energy when you lose a game like you did last week. If you want to twist the cap off of it, have a poor showing against TCU. I'm not talking about losing. If you lose 27-24, that's competitive. That's either way, blah, blah, blah. You know, but if it's 35-14 in the fourth quarter, then all of a sudden people start saying things like, well, it's not going to get any easier moving forward. Hey, we're playing a big boy schedule now. This isn't good enough. What was good enough isn't good enough anymore. And that's, that's kind of happening up at West Virginia right now. Uh, that's, I think, kind of happening at Houston right now. So it's not on the national radar. I'd, I would lean TCU in that game, by the way. And if that does happen, and it's a wider margin, maybe than that spread in the case, it uh, won't be a comfortable week down there. What did you think about uh, Shador Sanders in Colorado? The first half I'm watching, I'm like, man, this is a whole different deal now playing against Nebraska's defense. And they really, I thought they really struggled against Nebraska, but really found themselves, of course, Jeff Sims' mistakes and, and, frankly, Nebraska's poor offense helped out the situation. But I thought in what could have been a little bit of a letdown, um, they really showed up the second half the second half of the game. Yeah, they did. And, I, look, the way I saw it is you keep giving folks opportunities and you keep giving them chops, and eventually they're going to knock the tree down. And that's what Nebraska did. I think they were minus four turnovers, and it was, they came early too. So I I watched the same game you did, and I thought, oh, wow, someone threw the crowbar in the bicycle spokes here. Well, here's the thing. If you throw a crowbar in the bicycle spokes, the guy does fly over the handle and, and face plant on the ground. But if you give him time to get up, dust himself off, get back on the bike and start pedaling again like Nebraska did to Colorado – that bike's still going to go, and you still could score, and you still could pull away, and that's exactly what happened. Here's what I have grown tired of. I love the Colorado story. It's the best story in college football right now. I wouldn't argue if someone said that. But we got to acknowledge, like, there's, there's, this, there's this cult-like following around Dion and Colorado that will take anything you say about what's happening and turn it into disrespect or hate. Yeah. I'll give you an example. I said in week one, Shadur Sanders played out of his mind, and Colorado beat TCU. To me, that's a compliment. And I got 47 folks in my comment section saying, no, he just played out of your mind. That's the way he's always played. <laughs> First off, these people never watched him at Jackson State. Secondly, if you really want to tell me what I got from that kid in week one against TCU, it's what I'm going to get 12 weeks this season be my guest and be that dumb. Like, it's okay to acknowledge they're playing well above their heads right now. It probably will calibrate itself eventually this year, but it's okay to just enjoy the ride. We don't have to be confrontational about all this. Josh Pay with us here on ESPN 97.5 and 92.5. We were looking at it, and the odds are the odds are that they finish 6th or 7th in the in the Pac-12, and it's ironic how good the Pac-12 is this year. It's really really good, but but they're going to be an underdog in 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 a few games. Um, and I think a sixth or seventh place finish after where they were last year is still going to be great for Dion. Oh, it's insane. Uh, the only thing they'll suffer from this year is what I call the recalibration of expectation. Uh, it happened to LSU last year, and it happened to Michigan State a couple of years ago. That's when you're not expected to do anything in the preseason. 
And then all of a sudden you start overachieving. And the same people who said you wouldn't accomplish anything never admit they were wrong. Instead, what they do is they recalibrate their expectations. So they bump their expected win total for you up a few games, and they bump it just a little bit too high. And when you don't achieve that number, then they still call you a failure, which, of course, is insane. But that will happen with Dion. Someone out there said he won't win four games this year. And when they win six games, that same person will say, yeah, he barely made a bowl. Let's, not, let's settle down. Let's not crown this guy. That will happen all over the country. I can't control that. What I can say is it's been really impressive, and I think it's going to put heat on a lot of other coaches, uh, a lot of other coaches that have sold their administration on the fact that I need time, patience, 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 and then all of a sudden they're going to look at Dion and say, well, hey, that guy <laughs> did it in Boulder, Colorado. Why do we need to give you three years? And it's, it's irrational. But I think that will probably end up being the case for more than a few coaches around the country as a result of what Dion's doing. I tell you what would what surprise some people, like my dad, who is in his seventies, former Marine, fought in Vietnam, offensive line coach. I mean, just as salty as it would come. I had a great sense of humor and a Jake Myers hater uh, with the with the Astros. But um, he likes Dion. He really, you know, and he's kind of an old school guy when it comes to all this stuff. But he knows that behind all the my dad talked to somebody, oh, he talked to Tim Brewster, who's on Dion's staff. And my dad and Brewster have been friends for a long time. And Brewster told him, you know what, this Dion stuff, the prime, the coach prime stuff, he goes, that's really a character. I mean, Dion can get in character whenever he needs to. But when they're behind the scenes, when it's not in front of a camera, and when it's coaches talking to other coaches, Dion Sanders has the sensibilities of a guy who is an old-school coach. And if you've ever listened to him talk, you can find that. You yep. can hear that. So I think that's one of the interesting elements is he's understood. He understands there's his character, Coach Prime, but everything he does is with the with the heart and the hammer of an old school coach. I was listening to Jim Ross of all people, who was a longtime wrestling broadcaster in WWE slash F in Oklahoma. And he covered man. the Falcons. So he, yes, exactly. He covered the Falcons in the early nineties, and uh, that's when Dion was there. And Jim Ross said it was so crazy dealing with Dion because he would call himself primetime, primetime. And he would say, I'd walk up to him and I'd say, hey, Dion, can I get you for an interview at 3 o'clock? And the guy would say, well, Dion's not available at 3, but primetime may be available. And so he would do the third person thing. And Jim Ross said years later, that's how we convinced Dwayne Johnson to call himself The Rock and refer to himself in third person as The Rock. And it's the same thing with Dwayne Johnson. We're watching him blow up in Hollywood now. The Rock is a persona. Dwayne Johnson's a guy who grinds and grinds and grinds. Dion's the exact same way. You're right about that. Anyone who's been around him tells you that. Like, you're not sitting in a coaching meeting calling him Coach Prime. It's Coach Sanders, it's Dion, and we're at work. But when the camera's on, that dude just understands marketing and understood it a generation ahead of everyone else. He's always been ahead of the curve on that stuff. It's an X factor. It's an intangible very few people possess because it's God-given. But he has it. Um, he credits where it came from properly, and he uses it. I, I'm not mad at it either. Quickly before you go, Georgia, Michigan, Florida State, and Texas, top four teams in the AP. Agree? I've got Georgia, Texas, Florida State. Um, I think I had Ohio. Look, I would still uh, lean Ohio State over Michigan, but that game happens a long way from now. So I lean them when the game happens, but it's splitting hairs. So I'm fine with that order. Yeah. 
Yeah, those are well, USC, Ohio State, Penn State, Washington, the next. And uh, that's a pretty good list right now. T- Texas, they belong up there. I don't think there's any question. Josh Pate at Josh Pate at Late Kick Josh on Twitter and must follow. We appreciate you as always. The Late Kick with Josh Pate is brought to you by Damaris Barbecue every week right here on ESPN 97.5 and 92.5. Josh, thanks for joining us. I appreciate it, guys.